we continue our series in uh, parables. That's right. Uh, for the last uh, three or four weeks, we've been walking through, beginning to walk through uh, our series in the parables. Uh, we looked at the first week, the purpose of the parables. We got to see a little bit um, also what parables really are. And if you remember this simple definition that uh, really comes from the word, it means to, to throw alongside. And that's really what Jesus is doing in these parables in simplest form. He is throwing alongside of ordinary life, heavenly truth. He is literally doing that uh, and just bringing the, the reality of the kingdom of God, the reality of the truth of who he is. Uh, and he is uh, illustrating it and articulating it in ways, ordinary ways that, that people can easily interact with. So today we look at the parable of the sower. I want you to grab your Bibles. I want you to follow along with me on the screen. Uh, We are looking at that very image up there. I believe that's Rembrandt uh, in his, maybe not, I'm really not good at the culture art. Maybe maybe some dude last week did it on the side of a building downtown. I don't know. Um, But it's nice and it is indeed the sower. So we're taking a look at that, Matthew chapter 13, we're going to read verses 1 through 9, 18 through 23, follow along with me, and let's see what truth he's going to, Jesus will throw alongside ordinary life today. Verses 1 through 9, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. But endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, This is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold. 
in another 60, and in another 30. This is the Word of God, and all God's people said, Amen. About mid-October, the rains would begin to fall. This was very important because, as you can imagine in ancient Israel, that particular area of the world, that the summer months would be quite hot, would be quite dry. And over the period of the summer months, what would happen is the soil would literally become so dry that it would be, almost become like concrete. And so the rains would fall, this rain season would come, and it would give opportunity to prepare the soil and plow it. And when that time would come, the sower would do his job. The sower would grab his seed bag. And he would begin to walk through these plowed paths, separated by footpaths. It was not the day in which we had PVC fencing and sophisticated boundary lines to delineate between one man's field and another man's field. And so the sower would go out to sow. The sower would grab his seed bag and begin to do uh, what was most likely the broadcasting method of seeding. It was simple. The bag would be by the hip, and the hand would go into the bag and pull out a handful of seed, and the sower would just begin to literally broadcast seed over the soil. You could imagine uh, the type of soils that that particular seed would fall in. Some of the seed would fall along the well-worn path, right? And this would give opportunity for the birds to see it, to swoop in, and to devour it and take it away, keeping that seed from taking root. Other seeds would fall along rocky soil, right? On the surface, it looks like the plow had done a sufficient job, but really the plow only went three, four, maybe six inches tops deep. And what we really see over time was that the seeds that fell into that soil never really had the opportunity to take root because underneath there was bedrock. And so when the sun came down and it scorched the plant, it withered away and it fell down. Other seed would fall among the thorns, and the thorns would do what they do. It would suck, suck and sap the nutrients out of any uh, sprouts that would come. It would hinder that seed from getting any sunlight. And so what would happen is that seed, any growth, any potential nutrients that that seedling would get would be sapped and choked out. And yet some of the seed would land into good soil. You see, that's what this is all about. The sower going out to sow on behalf of of the owner of the field because the owner wants seedlings to grow in order that, what? On harvest day, there would be fruit. That's what this sowing is all about. All about. That's what the seeds are being planted for. For growth, for fruit, for profits when the harvest time had come. And the wonderful thing that we see here is that not all the seed fell into soil that was bad, but much of the seeds fell into good soil. And on that harvest day, the profit, the yield, 
the fruit indeed would come. A staggering one, hundredfold. Profit is a staggering profit for the owner. This is the parable of the sower. This is the very parable that Jesus tells here in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. And then he ends this parable sitting off the shore on a boat in the posture of the teacher, probably amplifying sound across the waters upon a crowd that is gathered to hear. He ends this parable of the sower and he says one simple expectation. He lays out one command, and it's very simple. It's this. For the one who has ears, he who has ears, let him hear. Upon hearing, the command was to hear. It seems kind of odd, doesn't it? Kind of an odd request. I could imagine being on the shore and hearing Jesus sharing this parable, and then him saying, this is what I want you to do. Hear. Imagine standing there and saying, didn't we just hear it? Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm scratching my head a little bit and saying, that's it? Just got to hear what he said? Well, that's pretty easy. That's pretty simple. This is the expectation of Jesus as he teaches on the parable of the sower. Just hear what I said? I mean, we all have ears, don't we? You say, hear, he who has ears, let him hear. Well, we all have ears, right? And yet we come to the realization that while this expectation seems very simple, very easy on the surface, the reality is this, something that we talked about a couple weeks ago. The answer to the question, don't we all have ears, is actually what? No. That yes, there's a profound difference between having physical ears. Yeah, to to hear words vibrating off vocal cords, hitting the air, vibration, right? Yeah, we have ears. But really, from a spiritual point of view, there are many who do not have ears at all. Jesus, in the next uh, seven, eight verses, points this out. As he lays out this expectation, he says there are some that have ears spiritually and some who, who, who do not have ears spiritually. They only have ears physically. That there are some to whom it has been given to hear and understand the mysteries of the kingdom and there are those who it has not been given. There are those in fulfillment of Isaiah 6 have hard hearts as seen in dull ears, deaf ears. But then he looks at his disciples, and what does he say? Blessed are you. You have eyes that see. Blessed are you. You have ears that hear. Many people long to hear what you hear and see what you see. And then he, once again, verse 18, looks at his disciples in an emphatic Verse that you don't see in your translation. You hear the parable of the sower. Jesus wants and expects us today to hear. You hear the parable 
of the sower. And then Jesus goes on to explain. And in the explanation of this, we see that Jesus likens the work of sowing seed into soils to the work of sowing truth into human hearts. Right? The, look at verse uh, 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown into his heart. That, that there is a sower sowing seed, and that seed is being sown into human hearts. That, that's what preaching and proclaiming the word of God, the word of the kingdom, is likened to. It's like sowing seed into people's hearts. And that really, what we see is that people's hearts are likened to soil. Right? That We see that hearing uh, is what takes place, and that hearing goes through the ears and is a doorway and gateway to the heart. And that these different kinds of soils are really different kinds of conditions of the human heart. John MacArthur says this, You cannot get the gist of this parable without understanding that the soil is a picture of the human heart. That's what these soils are. They are pictures of the human heart. Probably not a comprehensive, these are all the ways to explain every human heart, but nonetheless the ones in which Jesus has chosen to highlight for us. And this is why oftentimes this parable is not called the parable of the sower, but the parable of the soils. Jesus is likening the the sowing of seed into soils as as what? Proclaiming of truth into the ears and eventually into the heart of human beings. Every week when we come to church, seed is being sown into your heart. Every time someone takes responsibility for their workplace and prays, God, use me today, I'm going to take up my cross and follow you, and begins to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, guess what? Seed is being sown into human hearts. Every time we gather in missional community and we say, yes, we are going to do the inconvenient thing this Wednesday or Tuesday or whenever you mean, we are going to do the inconvenient thing, sometimes the thing that drives us nuts, we're going to hang out with other people and we're going to orient our lives around the word of God and the gospel because we believe that seeds will be planted in our heart. And this really points out that for some, those seeds uh, land on bad soil, and yet for others, good soil. For some, there is true hearing, and others, there is false hearing. I've been trying to teach my children that for the last 11 years, more poignantly, at least in this season, Silas, my son. Son, I know you're hearing me physically. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Is that truth being planted into your heart? Is it changing anything about you? Is it making any significant impact 
in who you are and how you live. Jesus likens the work of sowing seed into soil to the work of sowing truth into human hearts. And now we see these four soils. Look at verse 19. Anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown into his heart. This is what was sown along the path. You see, Jesus looks at this soil, uh, the soil that is along the path, and he, he likens that soil to the heart that is hard. To the heart that is so hard that it has become like concrete. Just like the soil along the path. That what happens is that, that they are so uh, hard before God that the soil of their heart is not able to receive the teaching of the word. Not able to receive the proclamation of the kingdom of God. And what happens is, based on their hardness and based on the work of the enemy, that seed that is sown into their heart is literally, the text says, snatched away by the evil one. Snatched away by the enemy. And the enemy does what he does. He's a thief. He steals. And he is, what? A liar. Often, we see uh, Satan doing just that in our world. Lying, deceiving. While truth is being sown, Satan steals that and he takes it away by what? Distorting and providing false teaching. Satan does what he does best. He lies and he steals. I can think of countless people in my life that have shown over time that the soil of their heart is likened to the one sown along the path. Right, that No matter how many times they hear the truth of the gospel, no matter how many times that they come and you think this Easter for sure, you think this conversation could not have been more clear, more passionate, more profound. Man, that was a great illustration that I just used. But for whatever reason, they continue to reject and deny the truth and the reality of the kingdom of God. Their heart is hard. The seed that is sown in their heart hits on the soil along the path and the enemy, doing what he does best, deceives. They come time and time again, week in, week out. But the reality is their soil is like concrete. Their heart is hard. And the enemy comes through deception, to snatch the truth, the Word of God, from them. The second soil is one where Jesus says, yeah, you know that seed that was sown among the rocks? This is the one that uh, often uh, times people uh, receive immediately or initially uh, the Word of the Kingdom with great joy. But ultimately, when they're faced with tribulation or persecution, when the truth of the Word of God creates conflict with their true values or creates issues in relationships or at work, persecution comes, pressure from the outside world is inflicted, they fall away, the text says. 
Literally, they fall down. This is a shallow heart. I'll never forget this one gentleman that came to Missio probably four or five years ago. We were meeting at the Palace Theater. I'll never forget the relationship that one of our elders had built with this gentleman and how uh, we could thought we saw the, the scales falling off of his eyes and a, an atheist immediately turned believer through constant proclamation and sharing of the gospel. We'll call him Josh. Josh was uh, really excited about the Lord really fast. And we saw some immediate changes in his life. We saw him get baptized and we had a celebration. Man, he's in the kingdom. He's a follower of Jesus. An awesome experience. Yet about two, three weeks went by. I began to notice that Josh wasn't there. And I figured, well, maybe he's on vacation, maybe he's this, maybe he's not well, maybe we should check up on him. So I went to that elder and I said, hey, what's going on with Josh? And he said, yeah, he has denied the faith. And I said, what? How? What, what happened? Yeah, he's an atheist again. And I said, what? It's inconceivable. Based on what we saw, I said, what happened? And he said, yeah, well, Josh went home and he talked to his wife about it. His wife wanted nothing to do with that. His wife was offended and disgusted. And they fought a lot. And through much fighting and conflict, Josh went back to believing what he had believed before. Persecution came into his life. Conflict came into his life as a result of this confession. While he was immediately, or at least initially, excited about the truth of the kingdom... When push came to shove, when conflict came into his life, when his wife said no, his heart proved to be rocky soil. And the truth is, the sad truth is, he fell away. And he denounced the faith. That's what the Word of God does, right? When persecution and tribulation, the text says, uh, come on account of the word. See, the reality of the kingdom comes into conflict with the reality and the values and the systems of the world in which we live. And oftentimes, what that translates into are relationships with people that we care about. And when that comes into conflict, when some sort of decision needs to be made, When you can't choose one and the other, you have to choose one or the other, the choice all of a sudden becomes different, doesn't it? Leon Morris uses this explanation to talk about what this word, this falling away really means on account of the word. He says it really, it's a a rock of offense. It's It's a tripping. It's like they, as they interact with the reality of the kingdom and it begins to to influence their lives, they trip and they fall into a trap and they stumble and they fall down. And really what's happened, something that it initially tasted so good is now so much very sour. 
That it almost was like, yay, I'm excited about Jesus. And then all of a sudden, based on persecution and pressure, based on the fact that a decision needs to be made one or the other, they're almost now disgusted with it. They're offended by it. It's not that they're just not sure anymore. They don't want anything to do with God anymore. That's the seed that falls on the rocky soil, a superficial initial faith that in the end says this, I don't want anything to do with this. I'm out. Have you seen this in people's lives? Have you seen this soil? Have you wept as you watched people initially seem to be excited about the Lord and then over time walk away from Him? And say, no thanks, not interested in all that anymore. That's those where seed is sown among the rocky soil. The next soil is Jesus talking about the one among the thorns. Those that hear and yet are choked out by the pleasures and the pressures of the world. I think in many ways we could take a look at American society and probably our own lives and conclude this. Life can easily become the management of a list of activities and things that we need to accomplish every single day. Somebody say amen to that. If I have one more conversation with Doreen on Sunday night with our smartphones, what's this week look like? Who's taking care of this? Who's doing that? How are we going to pay this bill? Who's doing this? How's this? It's like, oh my gosh. Whatever happened to the days, just looking in each other's eyes, babe, and saying, man, you look good, right? Now it's like, who's doing this? Who's doing that? How are we going to make it through this week? Oh my gosh. Have you been there? I'm an overstater, but I actually don't think I'm overstating this one. Does not life become a management of a list of activities and details and how-tos? Do we not get so consumed with the tyranny of the urgent people? We get so consumed with the temporal realities that they choke out any attention or perspective on eternal realities, right? I think many of us treat our relationship with God this way. Yeah, I know I got to deal with the important, but first I got to do this. First I got to make sure I take care of this. Yeah, I know I should read the Bible and give the word access to my life, but, but first I got to do this. How many of you fall into the first I got us? I'm brutal at the first I got us. Brutal. Yeah, I know we should probably just hang out with the kids, but first I got to... We get wrapped up in the temporal and we miss out on the eternal the more substantive things of life. And what it does is the, is the word is proclaimed what, that when we're, when we're so consumed with the temporal realities, the earthly kingdom in which we live, that there's no room, no access, and it chokes out. It becomes a, a thorn that chokes out the work of the word in our lives. And I find it interesting that this cons, can all-consuming world of the temporal realities, right, why do we, you wonder why we struggle with so much fear and anxiety. You wonder how much money is spent on anxiety, 
the most common mental illness in the United States. It affects 40 million adults. One out of every five people are struggling with anxiety. 42 billion dollars a year is what it cost us anxiety disorders in America. Consumed with temporal, anxious. Where is room for faith with that level of anxiety? See, this is the soil of the American heart. But not just that. We're not just consumed with the first I got us. We also are consumed with this. If I just hads. It's not just the constant management of activities. It is also the constant pursuit of more. We're never satisfied. We live discontent lives. And we long for more. If I could just have this, then I'll be happy. Right? It is the, not just the pressures of the world, but also the constant pursuit of the pleasures of the world that choke out any opportunity for the seed to take root in our heart. Is this not the world in which we live? Is this not the struggle of your very lives? Dear friend of mine, we'll call him Sam. Started meeting with Sam because Sam was going through a really hard time. Very successful businessman. He had everything. Beautiful home, beautiful family, tons of equity. But he also had a lot of recent disappointments in his business pursuits. Left him asking big questions in life. Why am I here? What is my purpose? We began to meet. I began to share the gospel. Began to share about Jesus. Began to invite him to see it and know it and hear it and understand it. And I'll never forget when I just simply said these words that we hear all the time, God loves you. And he wept, a grown man wept, as if he had never heard the reality of the love of God before for him. And I began to think, wow, look at what God is doing in his heart. He's changing, the gospel is grabbing him. But we began to see that just a few nuggets of positive truth over time were beginning to scratch the little itch and give him a little bit of sense of purpose that in the end just made him feel better about what he was doing. And the minute he got the new idea, the new project, the new thing on his plate, that itch had been scratched. And while the word was being sown into his heart, because he was so consumed with the anxieties of disappointments in temporal realities, and so consumed with the pleasures of the world. If I could just be able to do this, if I could just have more, then I will be satisfied that the Word of God was choked from his life. And I wonder if many of us here today are just that, being choked out. Because we're so consumed with temporal realities and the constant pursuit of more. And we are dying from what Tim Challies calls affluenza. We have it all, but we're never happy. And so we think we just need a little bit more. That's the kind of soil that Jesus likens the 
one sown, seed sown among the thorns. And I'm going to wrap this up. Jesus also talks about another soil. We said there were four soils, but what we really see here is there are two. There are good soil and there is bad soil. There is what? False hearing and there is true hearing. And here's the wonderful news that Jesus tells his disciples. There is seed sown into good soil. Not all of the seed finds its way into bad soil. That when the the sower goes out to sow and he casts seed into soils, that there are human hearts that have been prepared and plowed by the Spirit of God to hear it in such a way to understand it. That not all seed is lost, amen, but it enters into human hearts that have been plowed and prepared by the Spirit of God to hear it and to receive it so that it might grow and bear fruit for the glory of the owner of the field. You notice they all hear. Don't miss that. They hear it. They hear it. They hear it. But, snatched away, fell down, but choked out. They, in this last toil, they hear it and they understand it. Do you know what that word understanding is? It means two things coming together in its root word. It's like rivers coming together. So the difference between the the ones who just hear it physically, but those who truly hear it spiritually, is what? Two things come together. The truth of the kingdom and their identity in their lives. It becomes who they are. It's received. There's union that takes place. It's not just bouncing off the human heart. It's entering into the human heart, and it is radically transforming who they are. That's what the Word of God does when it is entering into the soil of a heart prepared and plowed by the Holy Spirit. True hearing of the Word of Christ takes root in our heart, and it bears fruit in our lives. And I can come up with countless examples in this room of good soil. As I look around at each one of you and I see the profound impact that the gospel has taken in each one of your lives. It took root. And it begins to bear increasing fruit through your obedience, through your perseverance, Someone would ask, well, where, what is this kind of fruit? Well, the text doesn't really tell us right here what the fruit is exactly. But it does, I think, as we look back into the context of the passage, tell us the kind of soil it does not come from. And when we hear and understand the word, guess what? That word is not snatchable by the enemy. That word is not going to what? Just take a superficial route. That when persecution and tribulation come, when conflict comes as a result of the word in your life, you stand firm. That's what fruit is. You stand firm in the face of all opposition, all conflict. When that decision comes, yes or no, you say yes, no matter what it costs. And that 
that fruit comes from soil that is not choked out by the pleasures and the pressures of this world, that you are a people that are not consumed with temporal realities, that you trust God in the midst of that, that you see an eternal picture of what God is doing into the world, and you hear it and you say, yeah, I know life can be a mess sometimes, but I trust God. He's got it in control. He's guiding me every step of the way. We have nothing to fear. And if I could, if I have to lose anything that this world would offer, take the world but give me Jesus. That's the fruit of the gospel. We're not even getting into the value of the kingdom yet. That man, I'll sell everything to give me. Give me that. Whatever you want, take it. That's the most valuable thing in the world to me. Those who hear the word of the kingdom and have hearts plowed and prepared by the Spirit to receive the word of God are those that which the gospel takes root in their lives and it bears fruit in their lives in increasing measure. It's interesting that there's varying degrees of fruit, isn't there? Some would say, well, I only gave the Lord 30, and I only have 60. It's all good. It all comes from good soil. Right? God takes care of the fruit. God takes care of the results. We just hear the word, understand the word, receive it, have union with it. It transforms the nature of who we are, and it begins to transform the nature of how we live. That's what true hearing is. And really, this simple application and the way this it's very simple the way this ends he who has ears let him hear you hear the parable of the sower hearing it brings us to a place of self-examination if we are to see this text as teaching that true hearing of the word of christ is where the gospel takes root in our heart and bears fruit in our lives, the question really becomes for your self-examination, are you truly hearing the word of Christ? You need to spend some time. Is my heart hard? Is my heart shallow? Is my heart consumed with temporal realities? constant pursuit of more, the management of things to do? Or am I truly hearing? If you are, you're bearing fruit. Because that's what the gospel does. That's the nature of the word of God implanted into the heart of the human. Radical transformation. This is to my Father's glory that you what? Bear much fruit. So proving to be my disciples. Understand this. Fruit does not make you a disciple. It does not make you good. Fruit proves that God has made you good. So don't just go out there and say, oh, I'll know. I'll show the world I'm hearing. I'll just try really hard and I'll do great things for God and then we will all know and believe that I am a true hearer. No, 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 no. Fruit comes from good soil. That's the work of God. Fruit puts on display His goodness in your heart. That's all that fruit does. 
So let me ask you the question, are you truly hearing the word of Christ? And I think by implication, going back to Sean, are we truly speaking the word of Christ? When we hear God's word, it's not meant to go into some little lockbox. Right? And John MacArthur points out that this sower can be anyone that's sowing the word of God. That we become sowers. We begin to be those who spread seed on soil and human hearts. I think while we become hearers of the truth, we become speakers of the truth so that others might become hearers of the truth and respond to the glory of God. And I think last thing I'll say, this calls each and every one of us to pray. There's a lot of hard soil in our world. We pray that the Spirit of God moves across the landscape of humanity. We pray for revival. We pray that Syracuse would be known for the glory of God. Not a might make it to the tournament basketball team. We pray that we would hear. We pray that we would speak. We pray that others would hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ with faith and repentance. That's the work of God. Amen. So are you hearing? Are you speaking? Are you praying? true hearing, the word of Christ, will take root in your heart and it will bear fruit in your lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth, the word, and the kingdom as most poignantly revealed and communicated through the person of Jesus Christ. He is the great sower of seed. Upon the landscape of human history has been your work to reveal, your work to regenerate, your work to call men, women, and children to faith and repentance. And oh, is the gospel spreading throughout the globe. We give you praise for that. But we pray that it would spread and grow in our own hearts today from this place throughout all of these suburbs, throughout all of Onondaga County, to the city of Syracuse that is hurting and broken and confused this week, to the ends of the earth. May your word go forth. May the seed that falls on good soil understand it, we pray, for the glory of the one who owns and cares and oversees our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.